0: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 If you have spent at least one weekend at vacation Bible school, then you know that scripture like the back of your hand. It is one of the cornerstone scriptures of our faith and continues to be the beacon of hope for many lost souls. You may not know this, but the book of John has 879 total verses. And our next guest knows them all in today's episode our next guest will share his story about how he built his company that has put him in front of large crowds year after year from a serendipitous meeting of bruce kuhn stay tuned you don't want to miss this as christians we were taught to be good stewards over our tithing and giving to the less fortunate but when it came to our own personal finances and investments we are clueless on what the bible says what does the bible say about managing debt? Leaving a legacy, investing, or even planning for retirement? We answer these and many other questions because we want to teach you how to be rich and righteous. If this is your first time to the show, we want to say welcome. If you're coming back for another spiritual refill, welcome back. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and this is Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. Welcome back. Once again, I'm your host, A.B. Ridgway, and we have an exciting episode for you today. I want to share a word with you, serendipity. And no, I'm not talking about the romantic comedy with John Cusick. Serendipity means the occurrence and development of an event by chance in a happy or beneficial way. The path that the Lord leads us, personally and financially, in my mind, occurs that way. All things happening for the glory of God and according to His will, which is always beneficial for mankind. We see that in Jeremiah chapter twenty-three, verse eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Even in down times, we must remember that God has a plan for us that is meant to be beneficial, intended for us to prosper, so that we may have hope today we'll be talking about how do you read the bible so you can understand it apply it remember it and enjoy it our next guest has a four-step process called the complete communication system to develop your message and how to be more efficient in your business and finally we'll discuss the three conversations that churches have what is the bible is it true i mean should we read it Two, is it reliable? I mean, how do we get the translations? Is it from Greek? Is it Aramaic? And can we believe those translations? And then practicability. These conversations that we have doesn't make sense. Monday through next Sunday. And for the last 23 years, our guest has been having the fourth conversation. Do you like it? Yes. You can answer yes to the first three. But what about the fourth answer? Is reading the Bible something you should do? Or is it something you want to do? I'm not an expert here, but our next guest is. So let's start off with a prayer and get this show started. Heavenly Father, please allow your spirit to flow through those who speak today. We bring you the word and we hope that those who are listening are blessed. You have provided both of us today a powerful voice and we can do nothing except through you. May his message be clear and the hearts of our listeners, open to our guests. We ask that you give us strength and discipline as we extend these thoughts to all those who seek your glory. All these things we ask in your name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, he is an author, former youth pastor, storyteller, who is using the word of God to give compelling and impactful speeches to those in this world. His journey has been nothing short of serendipitous, his presentations of word-for-word scripture expanded into speaking about how to study the Bible relationally, not informationally. His speaking expounded into writing books and blogs, writing expounded into the video course, the courses expounded into the Bible Life community, the private online environment where together you can read, study, and discuss the Bible together, and only God knows what will be next in his faith-driven journey. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome Keith Farron to the show to tell his story about how God is using him to expand his kingdom. Hello, Keith. Hello, AB. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good, good, good. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Well, let's start the listeners off by telling them a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm a husband and a father to three kids. We're, we're covering our bases at this season of life. My uh, my oldest is in college. My middle is in high school. My youngest is in, in middle school and my wife teaches kindergarten. So we've got <laughs> every schooling you can, and she's finishing up her master's. So we're wow. like doing everything that we can to, to grab this. So I'm just, I'm just herding cats. But uh, yeah, I've spent the last 26 plus years uh, traveling and speaking and spent about the last 15 to 20 of those also coaching people who do speaking and writing in the area, you know, so helping them public speaking wise and also helping people that uh, are writing books and, and help with the self-publishing process and, and all of that.
0: So wow, that's a lot on your plate oh, right yeah. at this point. Can we start at the beginning? How did you start getting on that stage?
1: Yeah, well, well, being on stage was something I started really, uh, really early because I was in college, I was helping with this student run ministry called Rejoice. It was a worship night every Wednesday night, and it was developed by students for students and run by students. There were no faculty or anything. And uh, and so I was one of the leadership team of that. So I would speak at that. So I, I, I was one of those weird people who uh, most people hate public speaking. And it was always something that came naturally to me, something I enjoyed, something I looked forward to. But that ended up spilling over into once I graduated from college in 91. Right after that, I started as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for six years. And it was a small church plant. I was their first youth pastor they'd ever hired uh and and it was me and the lead pastor were the two kind of paid staff and uh if you can call part-time church planting ministry <laughs> paid staff
0: right. <laughs> right. Right. but uh, uh,
1: but whatever you know whenever he was so i was i was preaching at church from you know the age of 22 or something like that because if he was gone i was typically the one who was filling in but then that that spilled into, you mentioned Bruce Kuhn in the intro, and it was something where where I met him, kind of, you use the word serendipity, it's, it really, it really was. It was, I, I can point back, it was April 18th of 1993, and that was not only the day that I met Bruce, but that was the day that I tell people that the living word of God went from being a phrase to a reality. That wow. it, there was a shift. I, you know I was a Christian, I was in full-time ministry, but uh, but the Bible was kind of that one aspect of my life with Jesus that was more of a should than a want. Mm-hmm. I wanted to come to church. I wanted to hear good preaching. I wanted to be with students. I wanted to introduce people to Jesus. I wanted to, you know, hang out with other Christians. I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. And, ah, uh, yeah, I should read the Bible more.
0: <laughs> and so,
1: <laughs> so that was, and I found that, that I wasn't alone in that, that 90-something percent of the people that I talked to, they would to kind of echo the same thing. So I would imagine there are at least a handful of listeners that can relate to that. But it, yeah, it, it, go,
0: go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was, I was I was just going to say the same thing. I, I think there are a lot of listeners out there that feel the same way, right? So they go to church and they hear a beautiful sermon. You know, they tell them what page to go to. They tell them what book to go to. They tell them what verse they tell them what to think, how to think and how they should finish off the rest of their week right but nobody goes back I don't say nobody a majority right. of people aren't going back and say oh I just read that last week or yeah this is a great scripture I need to meditate on this for the rest of the week or maybe I should read the rest of the verses those right. type of thing conversations are not happening and, and I'm glad you're coming on the show to say okay there's been a shift here and I was just like everybody else having those same type of
1: conversations oh yeah yeah the first Twenty something years I was I was a Christian. So I started as a youth pastor in ninety-one and it was it was early ninety-three. So I was a couple years in, and I was having lunch with a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at another church in town, a larger church in town. And he said, Keith, I don't know what to make of this. There's this there's this guy coming to our church Sunday night who has memorized the entire gospel of Luke. And he gets up on stage with no sets or props or costumes or other actors and actresses, and he Quotes it, and while he quotes it, he kind of acts it out, and 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 I remember just thinking, that is a lot, right? I mean, I, right. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I remember, I remember how hard it was to memorize a verse when I was a kid, but you know, tell people I persevered because there was usually candy involved, and right. and so, so I. Uh, I also had this thought that i asked my friend i said are people really going to sit and listen to this for two hours Mm -hmm. i mean i wasn't i wasn't trying to be disrespectful or sacrilegious but But when I thought about memorized, quoted scripture, my mind went back to being an elementary school kid in central Kansas, where once a year they would stand the second grade Sunday school class up in front of big church. And (laughs) one at a time, frightened eight-year-olds would quote John 3.16 as fast as they could. Right. Except for the one who was doing it super slowly and waving to his mom in the middle. Right. And, (laughs) And so... So I couldn't imagine. I thought it would be fascinating for the first kind of ten or fifteen minutes to just see if somebody could really memorize that much, but I didn't think it was going to be enjoyable. I, I thought I would be kind of bored. Tr- truth be told, I sat in the back and thought I would leave at intermission and just kind of sneak out after an hour. And and, and I, I tell people the, that night, the living word of God went from being a phrase to a reality. I, mm-hmm. I saw it come alive. I, it was. It was amazing, and I, and I ended up not only staying through the whole thing, but I went up to Bruce afterwards, and I just—who was the actor that uh, he had been in the Broadway cast of Les Mis, and and had now, and now his full-time job was to work with Intervarsity Christian Fellowship and go to college campuses and churches that are near college campuses and and present the Gospel of Luke, and and I went up to him and not only thanked him, but I just said, hey, they said you were going to be in Seattle from New York all, you know, all week. Can, can I take you to lunch tomorrow? And our wow. lunch went from noon until 9 p.m. Wow. And uh, <laughs> we, we didn't stay in the <laughs> he restaurant. Didn't, the whole, he didn't recall didn't the me, restaurant did he? the whole time, but we did spend the whole day together. Right. And And he just started challenging me to to soak in bigger chunks of scripture, to just say, well, what if instead of memorizing this verse and this verse and studying this little piece and this little piece, he said, what if you just took a book of the Bible and you just soaked in it until you knew it? Mm. You just hung out there until you know it. And when you know it, you move on. And I, I just remember thinking, okay, my whole life, I've heard about studying the Bible and memorizing verses. I've never heard anybody talk about soaking in it and hanging out with it. And so that summer of 93, I just, I just took Philippians and I, I read Philippians, which is I don't know, 15, 16 minutes if you're just kind of reading at a normal pace. It's two or three pages in your Bible probably, and uh, and I just said I'm for for this summer I'm going to read Philippians every day, and and got to the end of the summer, and so I had read it I don't know at that point 40 to 60 times, and I realized that not only had I understood it better than I ever had and made some connections I had never made before. Uh, But I knew it, I remembered it. It it was in my brain and in my heart, I understood it and I knew it word for word. And I I tell people, I realized that I hadn't just memorized it, I had internalized it. And it was that summer of 93 that I stopped using the word memorize. I don't use the word memorize because I think the goal should be to know the word, not just to know the words. And mm-hmm. typic and Can so, you say that
0: one more time for our listeners. Yeah. yeah I don't want them to miss that. Yeah, say that one more time it, for
1: them. Yeah. typically it's I think the goal should be to know the word, not just to know the words. And and I am not saying that getting the words right is unimportant. I'm just saying when we start with that as our initial goal to be able to quote the words, then th- that's a different that's a different conversation than how do I hide the word in both my head and my heart in such a way that the Holy Spirit can use that word to transform me to be more like Jesus? Mm-hmm. To me, that's internalization. That's a more interesting
0: conversation than can I quote it and say that I've done it. I um, totally agree. I totally agree. One time I was I was in Paris at the time, and um, I knew somebody. They would do subtitles. You know how you see a movie that's in a foreign language and the subtitles? Well, she would do the subtitles for American movies. It says, "Hey." You're from america i cannot understand what's going on in this movie can you you know articulate some of the words i said sure so i'm listening to the movie and i give her the translation she enjoys it but one thing she told me was that i was like this is a great program that you're doing you know how do you like it she said she doesn't really like it because when you translate languages you can translate the words but you cannot translate the beauty and that made my mind expand so same thing with the word of god you could translate the words but you have to find the beauty and i think when you settle with the word and you internalize the word you get the beauty and not just the translation because there's there's a bunch of translations right there's the niv there's the king james version but the beauty of those words and god's spirit in those words is what's important not necessarily the words themselves so i'm glad that you brought up that point i think that's a very awesome point that i think our listeners really need to to dive into when they're listening to the majority of this conversation, yeah, yeah, so, it's
1: it's it's huge.
0: So, I, I want to move forward a little bit here. Okay. So, you're talking about making that shift from how do you go from just reading the Bible to enjoying the Bible, and we talked about internalizing it, dwelling with it. So, how do you do that? So, how do you read the Bible to understand it, apply it, remember it, and then also enjoy it at the same time?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of this really over the course of the rest of 93 and into 94, because in 94, I made one New Year's resolution that was to internalize the Gospel of John, I just just wanted to know the life of Jesus the way that I now knew Philippians, because I felt like as I had internalized it, as it as I understood it, but I also knew the words, that whole internalization process, I felt like then God could bring that to my mind whenever he wanted. And so I could so I, so I wanted to know the life of Jesus like that. And so my goal, you know, you, you know, we mentioned Bruce and that he was an actor and he had been in Broadway, whatever. Well, my goal was not to present it the way that he did. That was another serendipitous event because I was never in a school play. I never, I, I did youth group skits. That was my entire acting career. <laughs> right. And so it was never something where it even crossed my mind that I would start to do that. Um, And so that, you know, that shift kind of came as I started soaking in in John. And when I would preach on John, I would just use like one story or a section and saw people responding to that and and learned a lot about over over the course of those kind of two years, really learned a lot about. about how my own mindset was shifting. And I realized that for most of us, our mindset when we go to the Bible, what I would call our position as we approach the Bible, was is, is off as well as our process. So not just so our position and our process. And when I, when I speak of position, I'm really talking about our mindset so often when we go to the Bible hmm. is informational. It is, I I need to learn what God wants me to know so I can do what he wants me to do and live a life that honors and glorifies him. And while that sounds good, that's not the purpose of the Bible. That the, the purpose of I tell people, the Bible is the only book that has ever been written with the sole purpose of drawing into a relationship with its author. Yes. That the purpose of the Bible is relational. Now, is there information in there? Sure, of course there's information in there. But the analogy that I think most helps from this is both an understanding and an enjoying and kind of weaving that all together is the i use the analogy of of people sitting at a coffee shop you know if i if i move to your city and you know you and i you know we both are married both have kids we you know are you're you're younger than i am but um But not crazy younger (laughs) uh, but we you know we've had we've had a couple good conversations and i would imagine that we would want to get together so let's say that for the next you know year or two we just said hey let's meet at a coffee shop once a week before work well over the course of the weeks to come would we learn some information about each other Yes, sure. Of course we'd learn some information. We don't, you know, I, I, I know, that, I know that you're married and you have kids. I don't know how old your kids are. I don't know how you met your wife. I don't even know your wife's name. And, you know, we'd learn information. You don't know my wife's name. You've got, I've given you in the intro a little bit more information about the ages of my kids, but we'd learn a lot about that. We'd learn about like what food we like, what movies we like, what, you know, parts of the Bible stand out to us, how we even came to faith in the first place. Right. All We'd learn so much more information about each other. But imagine if week one, I pulled out a notepad and I and at the top of the notepad, it said 54 things I need to know about A.B. for him to be my friend. (laughs) And I said, so what's your wife's name? How did you guys meet? What are your kids names? What are their ages? What do you like to do? What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite food? What are you listening to musically right now? Well, I mean, you're a nice guy, so you'd probably answer the question. I'm guessing you wouldn't show up week two. (laughs)
0: Right? Yeah, I think you hit on a great point here, right? Because I'm a financial advisor Mm -hmm. and we get that all the time. Advisors want to know, what questions should I ask my clients for them to open up? And, you know, how should I talk to my clients to to build that relationship? And I am consistently telling them it is a relationship, just like you said. The more time that you spend with the client and close your mouth, the -hmm. more they're going to open up, the more you're going to learn from them. I think a lot of times, even when we read the Bible, we try to project who we are and find comfort in our core beliefs and values as they stand and trying to find validation through the Bible, as opposed to being humble and allowing the Bible to transform us and spending time with the Bible. I'm gonna put this in practical terms here. If you sit down with a client and you say, just like you do a checklist, what's going on? You know, how old are you? How much are your kids? You know, I'm excuse me, how old are your kids? All those type of things that we say you're going to lose that relationship because it's going to be almost transactional. I ask, you give, as opposed to, like you said, spending time with them. Some of my clients, I know they're in gardening clubs. I understand that they love pets. I know what happens to their cats. I know the stands that they build. I know their the color of their, 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 uh, their living rooms because they share those things with me and it makes it more intimate. So I love the direction that you're going here as far as building that relationship. And yes, I probably yeah. wouldn't show up. You know, you know the the second time because it feels like an interview right it feels right. like almost like well, why do you want to know all this information there's no why be, behind why we're doing those things yeah because I think I think that that that
1: idea of the, the the notebook with questions or the notepad that's so often how we approach our Bible study we you know we've got our Bible and we've got our devotional book or some kind of reading plan and we go through. And if we read this and check this off, and then we answer the questions for the daily reading, and then we get to the last question for the day and we must be done. I'm like, sometimes I think we leave our time with God having spent no time with God mm. <laughs> at all. Right. And that, that relational aspect of, I, I remember that this was like an epiphany that came to me one day when I felt like God's spirit was just telling me, you do realize I don't have something to teach you every day, right? Mm. That, because of my whole life, I've been told, God has something to teach you every day. And it's like, as a father, I know that there are days that I teach my kids something. And there are yeah. days that I discipline them. There are days that I comfort them when they're struggling. There are days when I encourage them or inspire them to be more than they would be on their own. Yes, And there are also days when we watch a movie, right, or exactly. we go for a walk, or we play with the dog, or and those days are not less valuable. And so I just felt like God was kind of asking me in my spirit, just saying, do you really think there, that every single day I just want to teach you stuff? Don't you think I ever want to just play with you and just enjoy being with you? If you read the Bible and you en- you, you enjoy the story that's being told or the event that's being recounted or whatever, and you don't learn anything that day, but you've enjoyed the read, you haven't wasted your time, you know? Right. I mean." If you read the Bible for two years and never learn anything, there's a different. That's a different issue. But I think that, uh, for, but for most people, we're we're going there looking for the truth we need to apply and exactly how we're going to apply it today. And we're because we're constantly seeking that out. If we can't, if we can't discern the the specific truth in that passage or the application point, we somehow feel like we've failed. Right. I'm like, well, I mean, going back to you and you and I having coffee, if, if we had cup of there over the course of the 2 years that there would be days when you teach me stuff and there'd be days when I'd teach you something or you we'd get to know each other really well and we'd be able to see kind of when, when is somebody's attitude off or when are they struggling you can just you'd be able to tell that from the look on my face but there would be days when we would just talk about the ball game that happened last night and the crazy ending or whatever it was you know and yeah. Those would actually be foundational pieces. So I think that, from the Bible standpoint, that position, that mindset, as we go to the Bible, is is huge to both understanding and learning and enjoying. Yeah. So let,
0: let me let me go off on a tangent just slightly here. So you help people prepare speeches and things of that nature. Yeah. I love this concept of using the Bible as a benchmark to everything else that we do in our lives, almost like that practicability aspect that we talked about a little bit earlier that we'll, we'll talk about um, in the second half of this, this conversation. But on stage, when I look at you, you're very charismatic, you're funny, <laughs> you're engaging, and you know your material. I relate that all to you spending time with your speeches so some people are afraid of public speaking and it's, it's normal. So if you're out there, you're terrified of public speaking, don't worry about it. Um, a lot of people feel that way. But one thing I've noticed about Keith is that he's internalized his material to the fact. And think about it. When he met with Bruce, Bruce had a style. He didn't try to copy Bruce's style. He internalized the information how he understood it and he developed his own type For of sure. speaking engagement. I said all that to say this, I want to ask you, what is one of your best speeches that you've ever given, and which one is your worst one that you've ever given, and what do you think was the deciding factor that distinguished distinguished them um, between each other?
1: Wow. Um,
0: I asked the tough questions here, don't
1: I? Yeah. Well, I'm just, yeah. I, I'm thinking like one of the one of the best and one of the worst. Um, I would say that one of the best, there was a conference for uh, family ministry, people in family ministry. It's the National Children's Pastors Conference. And a couple, it was the January, actually, just a couple months before the world shut down, it was January of 20, and I was in Orlando, and it was a, it was a speech that I was, that I've delivered many times, but, uh, but I'm one of those weird people that not only enjoys public speaking, but the larger the crowd, the more comfortable I am so uh you tell tell people you know life coaches will ask what makes you come alive what, when is your job easy and i'm like put me on stage in front of between a thousand and two thousand people have encouraged me to help them laugh and enjoy the bible more that's like the that's that's my sweet spot and so that was one of those situations where i was teaching the, not only this the principle that I, I said of relational Bible study, but also the process of what I call reading more, where you're reading bigger chunks and reading out loud and reading the same passage soaking in it. and And, and so I was walking people through both that position and the process and had about, I don't know. 40 minutes or so which is probably 40 minutes too short for me but <laughs> uh, but it was just something where the, the connection with the audience the way the room was set up I mean it's just all all of that and something I was passionate about and and felt um, well prepared for after years of doing it teaching it and writing about it writing books about it and studying it
0: so All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Keith's worst presentation. So we talked about the best. When we come back, we're going to talk about the worst and figure out what's the difference between those two right after a message from Keith and find out more about our guest. We are truly blessed to have Keith Farron on our show today, but this doesn't have to be the last time that you hear from him. He is truly a man of God and of many talents and can be a great resource for your next event. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to connect with him, Keith handles ministry, corporate messaging, Bible study courses, and even a self-publishing program, and much more. Now, I know you're excited to hear the second part of this show. I know I am. But before we get back, make sure you rate and comment your favorite part. And oh yeah, one last thing. If you're interested in any service mentioned in this podcast, I'm going to leave the links in the description below. If you're a Christian and you want to work with someone who puts his faith before his finances, then you need to reach out to Keith Parent. But don't take my word for it. Check out the second half and hear it for yourself. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are with Keith, and he's explained a lot about the Bible, his journey from a youth pastor all the way up to a public speaker to helping people engage with their, their messaging and how he has internalized the Bible's scriptures and the word of God. To be a better presenter on stage. We had just finished talking about how he is able to give the greatest speech of his life, but now we're going to make a little switch. Keith, can you tell us a little bit more about your worst moment on stage?
1: Yeah, my my worst, believe it or not, was fairly recently. Uh, it was just last fall, and it was one of those things where I was, I was actually presenting the Gospel of John. It didn't, you know, we're kind of in the tail end of this pandemic, hopefully, <laughs> where, uh, and, and I was speaking live and it was something where I was presenting a church that was preaching through the gospel of John and they had finished the first half of the gospel of John. So they brought me in, it's a local church here in Seattle that I've spoken at many times. So that was, thing. I was thankful that I had my worst presentation in front of people who I already love and that love me. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it was something where they had me come in one week and the sermon was me presenting John one through five. And then the next week was me presenting John six through 10. So that was the 35 to 40 minute sermon each week. No intro, no preaching. And it was one of those things where where I just, I wasn't nervous. Like I said, it was a church I was comfortable with, people I was comfortable with. I preached there, I don't know, 20, 30 times over the past 20 years. And, and it was just one of those days where my brain wouldn't work. Mm. And, you, and, and I had so many brain freezes. It was very different than a normal speech where if you kind of miss your point, you go look at your notes or something like that. But because I was actually presenting word for word scripture, when I had a brain freeze, it was, I, I mean, I honestly, you know, there's two services and both of them went bad, <laughs> badly. And the, uh, but the first service was worse. There were, there were probably, a, I don't know, eight to 10, maybe even up to 11 or 12 different times in 45 minutes where my brain got so frozen that I actually had to go over to the Bible. I, I always carry a Bible with me in case I have a brain freeze Um, because it does happen several times a year. And I, and I, so I keep it on a table behind me, but I had to actually go to the Bible and get myself back on track, then turn back to the audience and get going. And it was one of those things where I actually, I actually recorded it and edited out all the good stuff and only put my mistakes. You can actually see a video. If you go to my blog and you type in, or if you go to my YouTube channel and you type in Keith Farron worst presentation or something like that. I've got edited like all it was I, I they only recorded the second service. So that was when I only made I think six.
0: <laughs> but I've edited
1: them all out. So you can see, you know, that even somebody who has done this for a living, and it's and it's, it, it was just one of those things where where even in that what I will come out of that saying was the conversations I ended up writing a whole blog post and including the video in it about the what I learned from that because there were so many conversations that afterwards that that I had with people who were in the audience who either didn't realize I was quoting scripture until I went back and opened my bible and they and they heard scripture differently moving forward mm-hmm. or it gave you know the way that i handled it and kind of laughed about it and, and the you know and different there were different conversations that happened all pointing toward the goodness or the grace or the mercy or the generosity of god that that i wouldn't i wouldn't change it i mean i I mean, hopefully next time it won't go that badly. (laughs) But But it was one of those things for that morning and that audience and those people, my mistakes actually helped them point closer to Jesus or more toward Jesus. And so I'm like, all right,
0: that's fine. I think that I like that. You know, I like that idea because, you know, when we are honest about our mistakes, it makes us human because humans do make mistakes, right? And it's okay. One thing I always try to teach my listeners is that you wanna fail often, you wanna fail fast, but you also want to fail forward. The thing is, a lot of people find failure and they stop. They stop getting on stage. They stop trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel. They stop trying to find the people that are relating to them and are going to encourage them. Like you said, God allowed you to fail in the right environment around people who loved you, right? So I do wanna take this conversation a little bit further once again. So I'm gonna give you a little synopsis of where we're going with this here you were a youth pastor yeah, and you're going to speak, obviously you're going to different churches, giving presentations, but something happened in 96 to 98. The numbers start to double year yes. after year of how many speeches that you were getting, who you're engaging with, and you made that transition to a full-time speaker. Yep. Now, after year five, six or seven, speaking at these churches, you start to find people that are asking you, hey, can you help me on this speech? Right. And 17 years ago, um, on your coaching, on your public speaking, on your writing, even on your books and how to run better meetings, you start to develop a business around here. And this kind of goes with the theme of you transitioning to what God wants you to do, as opposed to following a blueprint that somebody has already laid out to you. I wanna say this to our listeners before we go into this next topic. God is guiding you in a certain direction. He is putting people in your life so you can follow your own path. It is great to have mentors. It is great to have people to look up to. It is great to have people who are going to inspire you, people who love you, but at the end of the day, you have a life you need to live and you need to find your purpose and not necessarily compare yourself to somebody else. So we're going to dive into this conversation because I want to know, now we know his best, now that we know his worst, we want to figure out how Keith can help you develop your why, develop your strength. And figure out how you're going to position yourself, whether it's a podcast, whether it's your business, whether it's um, a corporate event that you're doing. How can you develop that? And he has a four-step system that he's going to talk about. And I want him to talk about that now. So, can you talk about your four-step process for us? Yeah, and I'm glad. And I'm glad that you said that the
1: way that you said that about um, kind of the, the finding, finding your purpose and discovering why, and, and even the no blueprint piece. Because for me, I have I have said many times I feel like I have two vocational callings on my life. I have some relational ones with my spouse and my, you know, my wife and my kids and all that. But vocationally, I feel like I have two callings on my life. One is to help people um, realize that the Bible is not just true, but it's awesome. Yes. yes, yes. (laughs) And the second is helping people do what God's called them to do more effectively. And each of my companies is built on one of those two callings. And so my, where, where we're headed now, the, my, my, company simply communicate is really uh, teaches people this four-step system that was with a system that i use that i found through my ministry you know as i'm speaking at churches as i'm speaking at conferences obviously most of the people that are sitting in the churches listening to me speak are not people who work at the church they're people who work at companies and they are financial planners and they're you know lawyers and they're you know software engineers and and they're people who work in the corporate world. And so people started asking me and where I live here in the East side of Seattle, I'm surrounded by, you know, Google and Amazon and Microsoft and, and all that. And, and so the people that were asking me had had speeches that needed to land.
0: <laughs>
1: and so, so from a very, or from early on in coaching, I was coaching some people with some pretty um, high, <laughs> high-value uh, deliveries that needed to, needed the to land, and so the pressure was on. And I realized that this this system that I was developing in my own mind, that I had adapted from some things I had learned, as I had studied public speaking, and and I realized that most people know they want to improve communication. And we know intuitively and experientially that systems make things better. We yes. have a system for building a car, writing a piece of software, you know, producing a podcast, whatever, will be more efficient and more effective. But most people don't have a system for thinking through their messaging, for how we plan a meeting, how we plan a speech. And so the complete communication system is a four-step system that can be applied to any scenario written or spoken. It's not just a public speaking system, uh, just that's where it started, if you will. And so the the steps, it's it's really simple. I tell my clients all the time: simple gets applied, complicated gets set aside. Mm. If if I, you know, most people that are listening to this are probably doing something else, right? They're driving in their car, they're on a treadmill. If this isn't simple enough for them to remember, it's not simple enough for them to use. And so the first step of this complete communication system is purpose. And that is know, knowing why you are delivering that piece of communication. Why are you having that client meeting? What do you want to come out of this phone call, this presentation, this slide deck, this meeting, this whatever piece of communication? Have you decided not just what you want to talk about, but what you want to accomplish? And I'm going to say that again, because it is is the main reason that most corporate communication doesn't land and why people are leaving tons of money on the table when they're in sales, people that are having client onboarding meetings. I had a chance to actually speak at the Northwest Certified Financial Planners Association Conference. So I love working with financial planners because you meet with people who are thinking you're only gonna talk about money, but when you can actually bring in purpose, it changes everything. So I love that. And, uh, and it, it's something that that idea of shifting your mindset from before you ever write a single note on the page or put a single slide together, if you determine what do you want the outcome of this piece of communication to be, What do I want to accomplish? Not what I want to talk about. Nobody cares what you want to talk about. They care what you want to accomplish. Right. That is purpose. The second is precision. And that is how do you, how do you make sure that you are including everything that will accomplish your purpose and nothing else? And so, I have I have some different rules that we in in the whole workshop that I teach and the coaching that I do I walk through what I call the rule of three which is if you can't say it in three minutes you're not ready to talk about it for an hour you know walk (laughs) through kind of how do you pare that down Um, the rule of two which is structuring things as a how or a why never a what and you know the rule of one which is a, a specific sentence template that I use that helps people really focus to actually boil down, I don't care whether it's a two-hour training or whether it's a 15-minute, you know, weekly meeting, be able to boil it all down to, to one sentence that crystallizes something so clearly in your mind that you can't not land it. And, um, and then something called uh, a hook that is something you hang all your, all your points on. So, so there's this whole process of precision that helps you focus it. And so purpose and precision lead to your points. Most people start with their points and it should be step three, not step one. And so your points, I have five different questions that I, that I teach that it, that help people, um, make sure that all of their points are successful, logical, powerful, memorable, and engaging. And. And when, because when you're, when your points are successful, successful, meaning they accomplish your purpose, you know, logical, meaning they make sense both to you in your own framework, as well as your audience that it's landing with successful, powerful. What, you know, people don't ask what's the, what's the best order for my points. Most 90 something percent of the time people present their points in the order they were first written down, huge mistake, you know, and then uh, memorable when you have, not, not every piece of communication needs to be remembered, but when they do, there's a there's a way that we can make kind of, brain science has always been a fascination of mine. It's kind of been a hobby. My degree is actually in psychology, not in Bible and not in communication, it's in psychology. And so I love tying in how, how we learn and how communication happens um, in the brain. And so, And then how to make it engaging. And that really leads into the fourth step, which is process. And and purpose, precision, and points, those three stay the same, whether you are writing an email, planning a meeting, writing a book, writing a sermon, writing a a client onboarding meeting, a keynote presentation for 10,000 people. I don't care what it is. Purpose, precision, and points, those three steps of the system stay the same. Whereas process, obviously the process of delivering a keynote or delivering a meeting or delivering a phone call or delivering an email,
0: obviously the process needs to change. Okay. Okay. So that's great. So I'm an executive at Google. I come to you because you're on every stage that I see you're at my local Mm -hmm. churches. Your name is ringing bells all over the city, right? And our competitors at Amazon are talking about how great (laughs) you are. So we want to make sure that we bring that to Google as well. So how does somebody engage with somebody like you? Like, where's that connection at? Is it word of mouth? Is it online? Do they find you on a blog? And, and how, and let's put it this way. I know a lot of people have a fear of public speaking, but mm-hmm. what do you think is the number one driver that somebody's going to be able to benefit from one of your services? So we kind of believe in people having a need. One of the number one things that we find that clients come to us about is that, they're afraid to outlive their money in retirement they want to know if they have enough and that if they contribute enough to their retirement savings yeah. all the other stuff is kind of negligible how much their mortgage is if they want to buy a car if they want to move all that stuff is pretty insignificant as compared to being to have enough money right with that said for people who need your marketing services or to to nail that speech and as you said before it's not all about public speaking there's yeah. other elements to your business and other arms but what is the number one thing That if they are in need of, they need to seek you out to get the answer.
1: I would say the number one, and this is not the answer people are gonna think, because number you know, most people would think that it's I have a big speech and how do I land it? Now, that oftentimes is the entry point for people because they think of that's when they think to hire somebody. to to help them with communication. I tell them the number one way that long-term I've been helping people for 17 years is to have more efficient team communication that leads to having fewer meetings that accomplish more. Mm -hmm. That if I can help people, when people have a system for thinking through their messaging, their meetings actually accomplish more during the first meeting instead of the seventh. When you're getting the right people in the room and finally somebody's questioned and then you have to go research this and all this. And there's no way that I'm going to eliminate meetings, eliminate email. But just if you feel like, I mean, if somebody's listening to this and they feel like, I feel like our team has either too many meetings or I frequently walk out of meetings and I think I'll never get that hour of my life back or that could have been a two paragraph email, or only four of the 12 people who were in the room really needed to be present. Mm-hmm. So I've wasted the time. I mean, think of the cost, you know, the, the lost cost opportunity of having eight people in a 12 person meeting that don't need to be there, but have just sat there for an hour instead of doing work.
0: Yeah, I, I think Which,
1: that's- I mean, it's just, it's just huge. And so, so the idea of, you know, I, I kind of the my slogan on my business card, if you will, is to prepare more efficiently, to deliver confidently and to land messages more effectively. That the first piece, preparing efficiently, when you actually have a system of thinking through, you can do it quicker, right? I mean, if somebody's listening to this and they're they've been a financial planner for 10 years, it doesn't take them as long to prepare for the initial client onboarding meeting because they've done it so many times. They have a way of thinking through it. They've maybe developed a system unintentionally even it, uh, that, that they always do the same thing. They've realized these are the questions I need. This is where we're really going. This is where, and they are more, they save time and have better results, which is the power of a system. And so preparing efficiently saves tons of time delivering confidently, that is, if you know that you're showing up to a meeting well prepared, you've got, you know what you want to accomplish, not what you want to talk about. So you're not just cluttering your meeting with a bunch of information, but you're actually only including information that's going to help serve your audience, then you're going to have more confidence in there as well as when you apply this system to, if you do have a lot of speaking, you know, I find that as people go further in their career, they're asked to teach the breakout at a conference or something like that, or do an intro of a keynote or do the keynote. And so, um, and most people, it just racks their nerves. And I'm (laughs) like, okay, well, if I can help somebody with that to deliver more confidently, but then also to land messages more effectively. I, I love training sales teams because if they they actually simplify and clarify their message and deliver it well, they make more sales, which is good for them. It's good for their company. It's good for their bottom line. It's good for all that. And so so that whole idea of preparing efficiently, saving time, delivering confidently, which makes you feel better as you're delivering it, and landing messages more effectively, which
0: helps you serve people better. I mean, who doesn't want that? I think that's perfect. There's an industry I want to whisper in your ear the movie industry needs you the movie industry is unique and i shot a movie um the great debaters with denzel washington i was a production assistant there i was very young um i was still in college at the time and one thing i learned about the movie industry is time is money you you heard that term time is money but it's literally money because production takes time every second that something's on hold every time an actor doesn't show up or something's late or you know a scene doesn't get shot in enough time before the sun goes down it's supposed to be a morning scene or things of that nature time is money so if you can make that more efficient you will save production companies hundreds of thousands right. of dollars um, yeah. in that so i just want to whisper in your ear that that may be somebody who's out there listening if you're you make, you make movie, the introduction i'm happy to do it man yeah. I, would, I would love to yeah, you gotta you gotta try to get there. Talk to some agents or something like that. I don't know. We'll we'll try to figure something out. But okay. I think that industry is very time sensitive when it comes to to money, because if I'm just standing here. I'm still getting paid. So regardless if production is going or not, I'm still getting paid. And production offices do not like that at all. So we've had a, a very productive conversation up to this point, and we're coming to the conclusion of this podcast. But I want to hold you for about five more minutes because I want to do something special with you. Is that okay? All right you've given us a lot of valuable information and i really appreciate you coming here but i want to play a game i want to okay. light you up a little bit it's called five for ten a little reduced version of our 10 for 10 because we have been here for a while but in this game you're going to answer five questions but you only get 10 seconds to respond to each one this okay. is not to, this is not to be confused with 30 for 30 with espn <laughs> I, I do not want to get sued here but this I is get five 30 for minutes for each answer okay yeah. I heard that. <laughs> right. so Let's go. Are you ready? It's five for 10. Okay. First question. For anyone who was inspired to memorize the Bible and you don't like memorize, but internalize the Bible or book of the Bible, which one would you encourage people to try to memorize first? And you can't say Philippians because that was the first one that you memorized.
1: Okay. And if it's not gonna be that one, then I would say either Second Timothy or Ephesians. Those both are short, so they're manageable for your brain, as well as they, all, they both have verses you've heard out of context that internalizing the whole book just brings context to something that you're already moderately familiar with.
0: Perfect. Number two, you talk about relationships and how you said your primary focus has gone from learning about God to hanging out with Jesus. What are your recommendations for someone to build a relationship with other like-minded individuals? Yeah, if people want to take
1: that to take that to heart and to the next level, that it's why I created the Bible Life Community. It is my membership where I teach live every week, and I, people have access to all of my resources and courses, as well as it's that community place where we can read and study and discuss, ask questions together. So, the Bible Life Community. People can find that at biblelifecommunity.com.
0: Perfect perfect. Number four is the Farron 5 trademark?
1: No, but it probably should be, huh? <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that we need I don't know that we need to with the unique last name of Farron. I don't see a whole lot of Farons out there so.
0: All right number <laughs> five since you are a speaker in the Christian space, this is a trivia question here. So I'll call it a, a name of speaker. As a college dropout who spent 17 years behind a camera and who had a fear of public speaking, took the stage in 1999 after the passing of his father. The words he recalls saying to himself were, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, those women are right, you will never be as good as your father. He is now one of the most prolific speakers the Christian industry has ever known. Who is the speaker? Is it T.D. Jakes, John Maxwell, or Joel Osteen? Um, tdj <laughs> it's joel olstein close close a lot of people didn't know this he was he was actually behind the camera before he took over the major church there wow. Well, con- congratulations keith thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with our audience ladies and gentlemen i hope that you've been blessed don't worry this may not be the last time that you hear from keith as many of our listeners know that we are planning to have an end of the year reunion for all of our guests, and we will have a roundtable discussions to see what they're doing, you know, what are new in their lives, and what have they learned since being on our show. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you send us an email at info at abrwealthmanagement.com and vote for your favorite guest. All links discussed during this podcast will be at the description below, and we pray you continue to pursue your journey of being rich and righteous. Keith, is there anything you want to say before we go?
1: Nope. Just thanks for having me. This has been great. People want to connect. I mean, my, my blog is just my name, KeithFerrin.com. So love to connect with you.
0: That sounds like a blessing. Well, until next time, I'm A.B. Ridgway and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. I hope that you've been blessed. As always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgway, owner of A.B. Ridgway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should have God in it. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am A.B. Ridgway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Warren Ridgway is an investment advisor representative and owner of A.B. Ridgway Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor which produces a podcast show and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Elijah Warren Ridgway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion or not necessarily the views and opinions of A.B. Ridgway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become A.B. Ridgway Wealth Management clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnest podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.